Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. You know, a prophecy, something we prophesy is, is something that, it's, it's a word maybe you've heard in church, but it's about hearing what it is that God wants to say and choosing to declare it in obedience to Him. And it's not because of us, but it's because it's His Word. Um, I just also just want just, to just encourage you with what Nick shared. And, and I, I want to say uh, one of the powerful things that I believe is, is God's raising up in the church generally at the moment is raising up fathers and mothers in the faith. And, and that's incredibly important because that is what this generation, it's what our nation needs Absolutely. But can I encourage you to begin to see yourself as a mom and a dad in the faith? It's got nothing to do with your age. And it's got nothing to do of whether or not you've experienced what it is to have natural children. To carry the heart of a mom or a dad is, is really to carry that passion to see another generation raised up. And as Nick said, to go further. I can say, even in the natural sense as a parent, no parent really wants their kids to never do any better than them. No parent really wants to be the one who's always doing more than their kids. Every parent wants their kids to go further. That's that same spirit. So can I encourage you, maybe you've never even, maybe you're a teenager. Can I encourage you, be open to allowing God to sow in your heart the spirit of a dad, the spirit of a mum. It's not about age. It's not even about the experience. It's about the heart that you have to see others raised up. And I believe if you have a hunger for that, God will actually begin to meet that hunger in ways that blow your mind, and you'll be incredibly encouraged. So go for it. That's awesome. Hey, so um, if I haven't met you before, hi, I'm Mark. Um, my wife is uh, Tongan. She's in Tonga at the moment. I'm leaving very early tomorrow morning to go to Tonga uh, for a week. It's a long story. There's every, nothing's wrong in our marriage. It's just um, we're living between New Zealand and Tonga. It's been an ongoing journey. I'll maybe talk a little bit about it as we go through tonight because it ties into what I want to share. But um, things haven't always worked out the way that we expected. Um, my dad passed away suddenly at the end of January, so I've remained in New Zealand more than I anticipated on being in New Zealand, just helping mum with the sale of the house and, and, and all the things that need to happen in, in the aftermath. Um, actually, just a, a testimony that mum and dad's house went on the market last Monday, first, so that's the first time it appeared, and uh, auction on the 19th of April, and on Good Friday, they got a, uh, mum got a, a pre-auction offer, which was really, really good. So what that means is they bring the auction forward, and the pre-auction offer becomes the beginning of the auction. And I mean, the pre-auction offer is pretty much what we thought would be the upper limit. So that's the floor. So now the auction's going to be on Wednesday, and um, every man and his dog and his family are coming through the house. There's been so many people viewing the house. So we're really... Anyway, that's got nothing to do with it, but it's just thought I'd share a bit of domestic news. Okay, so tonight what I want to talk about, um, if we can bring the PowerPoint up, please. I want to talk about the idea of... Movies and dreams. Um, I have a, a reputation that's not good in the sense that when I preach, oftentimes if there's been a new movie out, I'll go and see the new movie 
And what I love when I watch a movie is I love looking for, you know, sermon illustrations, just pictures, windows on, on principles. That, and what people don't appreciate is if they haven't seen the movie, uh, I don't give a spoiler alert, but I actually spoil it by using something from the movie they are yet to see as an illustration of my sermon. So don't worry, I'm not going to do that tonight. But, but I, I was thinking about the realm of movies and the realm of dreams. See, one of the things I'm sure you can identify with is that when you go to a movie, you don't want people to have spoiled it because there's no point going to see a movie when you already know how it's going to turn out in the end, yeah? Let, let me see, uh, um, I'll use an illustration. How many people here have not seen the movie The Sixth Sense? How many people have not seen that movie? Okay, so I could really spoil this for you now. I don't know whether you're ever inclined to watch the movie The Sixth Sense, but how many people have seen the movie? Okay, so for you people... You know, I could really ruin it, couldn't I? By telling people how the movie ends up. Yeah? Yeah? You, you understand? I mean, do I have to spell it out and ruin it for everybody else? But if you've seen the movie, you see what there is, is there's this whole setup in the whole movie. And, I, and I, in, a, in a moment or two, I could just ruin the movie because if you went into the movie knowing what I could tell you, it would just, there'd be no suspense, there'd be no drama. It would just be like, I know where this is going. So with a movie, we don't want to go to the movie when you already know how it's going to turn out, yeah? And I was thinking about that compared to dreams. And when I'm talking about dreams, we don't want to know how the movie ends, but oftentimes with dreams of hopes that we have, when I looked at my own life, I thought, you know, if I knew at the start what was going to happen in the middle of a dream, I don't think I would have wanted to go into it. So with movies, I don't want to know how they end, but with dreams, I generally don't really want to know what's going to happen in the middle of them. And let me just give you by way of explanation, what do I mean by dreams? Let's make the term dreams really broad. So maybe you're somebody who has dreams. You have, like, you go to sleep and you have dreams, and it's not just because of what you ate the night before. It's like you wake up, you remember it, and it's dramatic, and it's like God's spoken to you, and it's awesome, and you write it down, and it becomes a guide to your life. Maybe that's you. Or maybe for you, it, it's, it's a vision. Uh, maybe it's a, a, it's a vision like, wow, I just saw. Or maybe it's just this vision, this thing that you carry inside, a preferred future, a wouldn't it be great if I think maybe God wants me to be involved in, you know, that kind of thing. Maybe it's a vision or maybe, it, it's, maybe it's not even as tangible as that. Maybe it's just a hope. Or to quote the movie The Castle, it's just a vibe. It's just like something that I would like for the future of my life or that of my family or something I, I feel like God wants to do in me or through me. Or maybe it's a word in um, a word. That is, sometime you've read the Bible 
and it's like something out of the Bible has leapt off the page and that's been something that you carry. You remember every time somebody mentions that scripture, every time it's preached, you get excited because God's used it to speak to you about something for the future and maybe it's one you've carried for a long time. Maybe it's fairly recently. Maybe it's that word, it's that scripture or maybe it's a prophecy. Somebody who's prophesied over you. Somebody who's given you a message from God and it's resonated in here. It's not like, whoa, it's not like left field. It's like, man, how did you know? How's, how come God is reading my mail? And it's like it's a picture of something God wants to do in the future, and you're excited about it. So when I'm talking about dreams, I'm just painting a broad picture of what it might include. And if I look at my life, anything that I would put in that category of dreams, when I've started out on it, it's very clear. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't know at the beginning what was going to happen. Otherwise, I may not have said yes. Let me give you just a really little illustration. Um, so in 1996, which is a long time ago now, Bruce and Helen Monk went on sabbatical. In fact, in 95, they went on sabbatical to London. And, and we as a church in Auckland had, had a vision to plant churches in major cities around the world. So this is way back in the day where there was just Auckland. And uh, Bruce and Helen went on sabbatical. That means they, a bit of a study leave. And when they came back from London, they had coffee with my wife and I and, and said they really, while they were away, they really felt God was saying, that we should plant, as a church, we should plant a church in London. And so when they felt this, that they felt, well, were they the ones to go and do it? And felt that God said, no, they weren't the ones to go and do it. So they came and had coffee with my wife and I. And anybody who has coffee with Pastor Bruce, you know where this is going. Um, and, and so, you know, how would you guys like to go and plant a church in London? My wife had never been to London. So she said, yes. Straight away, I had been to London, I, um, and so I, I, I was, to be honest, I was not keen, I was not keen, I was not keen. There were all sorts of reasons I wasn't keen, I didn't really like London back then, it was just, I mean, it was just big, it was, uh, you know, and, and planting a church, and I mean, we'd never planted a church from our church before, so this would be the first one, guinea pig, and, and so it's that... And so I, I really, no, I didn't want to, I didn't. But, but there was a dream. I mean, man, I'd prayed with our church for, we'd prayed for years. God's going to lead us to plant churches in 10 major cities around the world. And yeah, good. God, you go and do that. Um, I'll, I'll just keep here praying. Um, but now, what, well, what about you? And I, Okay, yes, it is kind of a dream, but uh, really? Um, and so after a long period of time, well, not too long, but longer than probably it should have been, um, I just felt God saying to me one day when I was praying about this, because Rary's, come on, let's go, let's go. And I'm like, yeah, nah, yeah, nah. And, and so in the end, I just heard God say to me, Mark, would you go? And I mean, that's, that's the sense that I, would I? I mean, it's that sense of whether I said yes or no, God was still going to love me and I was still going to have a great future. And, I, and it just melted my heart. So I said, yes. And so we went on an adventure. We planted what was called Capital City Church, which later, when Bruce and Helen went up in um, 2000, they relaunched as Equippers in London. Um, and now I look back on it, it's great in hindsight, but at the time, if I'd have known 
at the beginning, what was going to happen in the unfolding of the dream, I think I would have been even more resistant than I was to actually saying yes to go. Now, it wasn't a problem because now I realize that in hindsight, that was all good. But if, I'd have, if, if you'd have told me at the start, well, look, you're going to, go to, you're going to go to London, and uh, it's going to be great, and you're going to go with four families, and actually... Um, they're going to be families who are willing to go, but they're not actually grafted in strongly into the church. So you're going to have all sorts of challenges around um, the culture of what gets going, and you're going to struggle to actually find a house, and it's going to be a big job to try and find a job in London and get settled. And it's going to be a really big job to actually find English people and have friends and have relationships with them. So for actually quite a long time when you gather together as church, it's going to be the four families who went from New Zealand, and you're going to be you know, get a little bit tired of one another because you'd really like some English people to come in and get saved. And actually, it's going to be a long time before you can actually start public services. But then once you do, it's going to be a big job. You're going to have to pack up the car every day. And sometimes you won't have a car, so you'll have to get a taxi, put all the little sound system in the taxi and go to the hall where you're going to have church. And then when you get there, it's the same four families. You think, man, we could have done this in the living room at home and saved a whole lot of time and energy. And then eventually you'll be praying and praying and praying that somebody would come and get saved. And eventually, eventually one person will get saved. And it'll be such a celebration. They'll be the first salvation but then they won't come to the church. They'll go back to their suburban. And it's just like, really? Really? I, I just, in my mind, I was going to the other side of the world. I'm going to do a great thing for God. I'm going to plant a church. It's going to be glorious, and we're going to be there till Jesus returns. After four and a half years, we got our visa declined, and we had to come back, and the church we left was a church of around 35 people. Now, it was great, but it wasn't what I initially envisaged, and I didn't see all the resistance and all the challenges. I don't want to know the end of a movie, but with a dream, I'm not sure I really want to know what's going to happen in the middle. Otherwise, we might not even start. So, with that in mind, I want to talk about perhaps one of the most famous series of dreams that are talked about in the Old Testament, and if you know the Old Testament, you know that Genesis 37 and 39 to 50 is all about Joseph. But what I want to do is I want to use the idea of the dream of Joseph and his dreams, and I want to talk to you about them in movie terms. So if you know anything about movie and movie production, before a movie actually gets filmed, a big part of the pre-production is the development of what's called a storyboard. That is pictures with the action and the main scenes and the main elements, and that all needs to be mapped out before you, you know, get your crew and your actors together and spend money on actually starting to film the film. So you may already be really familiar with the dreams of Joseph and his story. That's great. But I want to tell it to you briefly in storyboard form, and then I want to just wrap it up with three key things that I believe will help you understand how to understand the dreams, the visions, the scripture, the word, the hope, whatever it is you carry, and, and, and avoid getting frustrated and actually continue to say yes and cooperate with all that God wants to do in you and through you. So you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. So, Scene one. So I've given you the scripture. You can check it up to see if I'm really telling the truth, but I'm not going to read it. I'm going to tell the story in storyboard. So scene one. So we've got Joseph, and he's the youngest of a whole bunch of brothers. Dad is Jacob. Joseph's the favored one. There's all sorts of weird family dynamics going on here. Oranga Tamariki probably should have been involved, but they weren't at that stage. One of the issues is that Joseph is the favored son. Jacob really likes him, so Jacob has given Joseph... Lots of little things, including this really racy coat of many colors. It's a coat that his brothers do not have. And because he's the youngest, 
he's really not liked by his older brothers and sisters. And all the youngest see it now. And so one day Joseph has a dream, like a dream. He goes to sleep, has a dream, wakes up in the morning, remembers what it is. And so he decides he's so excited, he's going to tell his brothers about this dream. So he says, brothers, brothers, I had a dream. I had a dream. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about it. And they were all like, yeah, okay, tell us. He said, in this dream, we were all out gathering wheat, tying them together in bunches. They're called sheaves. And, and, And I saw that my sheaf of wheat went up higher than everybody else's and all the other 11, which I think were you guys, all bowed down to my sheaf of wheat. Now, I don't know what was running through Joseph's head, where he thought that it was ever going to be a good idea to tell a dream like that to older brothers who already don't like you. So you can understand their reaction. What? 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 Like you think you're better than us? Anyway, next night, he has another dream. And Joseph, full of wisdom, not, wakes up the next morning and says, guys, 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 I had another dream. You want to hear about it? Oh, yeah, sure we want to hear about it. Okay, yeah, yeah, and this dream, you weren't sheaves of wheat. Oh, that's good. No, this time I saw the sun and the moon and the stars, and I saw them all bowing down to me. Isn't that amazing? Crickets. That's all you could hear. They hated him. They absolutely despised him. A little later on, his brothers go out to look after the sheep, and Joseph's at home. He's the homeboy. And Dad, Jacob, says to him, I want you to go and find out what your brothers are up to. Come back and report to me. What do we call that today? What do we call that when somebody, a younger brother, goes out to find out what the older kids are doing and come back and tell Dad? What do we call that? Yeah, snatch, narc, whatever. So that's exactly what the despised son goes out to capture some information to come back home and tell dad about what his brothers are up to. And eventually he finds his brothers at a place called Dothan. And while they're there, they see him coming. And, and they decide that, uh, they start talking about themselves and say, hey, look, here's our chance to get rid of Joseph. Let's get rid of him. Why don't we kill him? And then we'll get his blood and put it on a coat and we'll come back and take his coat, his brilliant coat to dad. And we'll say, look, dad, we don't know what's happened, but look, there's blood on the coat. We think Joseph must have been eaten by an animal. Oh, so sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They decide this is what they're going to do. And then older brother Reuben thinks, oh, man, we don't want to kill him. So they said, no, 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 guys, I tell you what, let's just put him, let's just, hey, look, here's a pit. Let's just put him in the pit. And let's get his coat, and let's put animal blood on it. And, and his, his whole deal was hoping he could go back later and rescue Joseph. So that's what they decide to do. So they grab him, they rip off his jacket, they throw him in the pit. And while they're sitting around having a meal, wouldn't you know it, there comes a whole bunch of Ishmaelite guys coming along, and they are they're slave traders. They're people traffickers. And so one brother has this brilliant idea. Hey, we can make some money here. Why don't we sell him to the people traders? And not only are we getting rid of him, but we get some money to boot. Great idea. And so they sell Joseph. They sell the youngest brother to some slave traders who take him away. And they take him away to a place called Egypt. And he ends up becoming a slave in the house of a man, a very wealthy man by the name of Potiphar. And Potiphar is so much, he trusts Joseph so much, he gives him control over his whole household. So basically, when Potiphar isn't at home, Joseph is the man. He gets responsibility to run 
everything. Isn't that amazing? A slave who's given responsibility, the same responsibility that the actual owner carries. But Potiphar has a Mrs. Potiphar. And when her husband isn't there, she starts looking around at the hired help or the slaves. And she looks at Joseph and decides he's pretty good looking. So she goes after him. She's really subtle. I'll keep it a bit PG because there are children in the room, but she basically makes it clear what she would like to do with Joseph and tries to entice him to do it. And he ends up saying, look, I cannot sin against God and I cannot sin against my master by doing what you're asking. And of course, you know, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. So the, the more he says that, the more she tries and the more he tries, she tries, the more he resists and the more that he resists, the angrier she gets until one day she decides that she's going to fix him. So, so when she tries one last time to get him into bed with her, he, he refuses and he begins to run. Running is an acceptable form of fleeing temptation. Can I just say out of that? You know, some people think it's not very spiritual. Actually, it's incredible, incredibly spiritual. So Joseph runs, but while he's running, she grabs his clothes. They rip off, and he keeps running. He leaves his clothes behind, and so she's there with his clothes, and he's run away. So what does she do? She cries rape, and she cries, see what this man has done to me. And everybody comes running as a shock horror. And so Joseph ends up getting arrested for something he never did, and he gets thrown into prison. See, Potiphar is the, the leader of the guard in Herod, the king, the pharaoh of Egypt, in his household. And so because of that, he gets thrown into a prison that's actually Herod's prison. So here he is now. He's in prison for something that he didn't do. How's the dream going, Joseph? How's that amazing story, those two amazing stories you told your brothers at the beginning, how's that going for you? Now he's in prison. The same deal happens in prison. He becomes so trusted. His attitude is so great that actually the guy in charge of the prison gives him responsibility over other prisoners. Kind of the same thing that happened in Potiphar's house, now it's happening in prison. And so he serves he does as he's told, but he doesn't just do as he's told. He, he works hard. He's got a, something driving him beyond just what's best for me. And, and one of the things that happens while he's in prison is that he finds out that some of the other prisoners are having some dreams that are causing them some worry and concern. And so he says to them, well, look, I can help you interpret the dreams. So he talks to these two prisoners, and I won't go into the detail. You can read it. But basically, they, he interprets both their dreams, and he's right. And one of them, their dream, his dreams end up leading to his death. And the other one, his dreams lead him to actually being released. And in fact, when this prisoner gets released, Joseph says to him, hey, when you get released, just remember, you've met me. Just remember, I'm in here for something I didn't do. Just remember me, won't you? And, and, the, and the, the prisoner said, I got you. And uh, Joseph said, what's that mean? And he said, I don't know. It hasn't been invented yet. But So the prisoner leaves. Joseph is still in the prison. Because what's the best thing to do when you're struggling with your own dream is to help other people interpret theirs. And so he stays in prison. One of the other prisoners is executed. The other one is released. Oops. I don't know how this happens. Let's try that again. So after the dreaming, 
He's waiting in prison, waiting to be remembered. And he's waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Does this sound familiar to anybody? And waiting. And then eventually, the prisoner who's been released ends up working for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh starts having dreams that leave him very, very worried and concerned. He goes to all, his, all the, the, the wise men in his court, and he tries to get an understanding of what this, these dreams mean. None of them can tell him what they mean. And then all of a sudden, this prisoner who's been released has a Homer Simpson moment. Oh, that's right. There's this, this guy, this guy in prison. In fact, Herod, he's here in this prison, in your very prison. He's here. He's really good at interpreting dreams. So Pharaoh says, okay, go and get him. So they bring Joseph up out of the prison in Herod's palace, and they bring him before, before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh tells him, look, I've got these dreams. I don't know what they mean. And so Joseph says, well, it's God carries the interpretation. Tell me what the dream is, and I'll tell you what they mean. How many people have seen Joseph with the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, the musical? Yeah. So this is the part where Pharaoh said, Well, I was wandering along the banks of the river when seven fat cows came out of the Nile. Aha. Bop, shuadawa, bop, bop, shuadawa. And right behind these fine, healthy animals came seven other cows that were skinny and vile. Aha. Bop, shuadawa, bop, bop, shuadawa. Held a thin cow, sat the fat cows, which you thought would do them good. Aha. Bop, shuadawa, bop, bop, shuadawa. But it didn't make them fatter like a, such a monster supper should. Bop, shuadawa, bop. The thin cats were as thin as they had ever, 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 ever been. This dream has got me baffled. Hey, Joseph, what does it mean? And then there's a big, hey, hey, Joseph, won't you tell poor old Pharaoh what does it mean? So basically, he tells the dream to Joseph, and Joseph gets the interpretation from God. And he says, well, the seven, the seven fat cows represent seven years where you're going to have an abundance of crops. And the seven skinny cows represent seven years following when you're going to have famine, not enough food in the land. But I believe you've been given this dream so that you can prepare so that the famine years are not years of devastation. And so Pharaoh says that is brilliant. He believes that's the interpretation. So what does he do? He actually gives Joseph authority. He says, great, you can be my prime minister, and now you're in charge. You're in charge for the seven years when there's good crops, doing all that we need to do to gather everything so that we've got enough that we put aside during the seven years of, of plenty so that we can survive as a nation the seven years of famine. And so that is exactly what he did. And he became the ruling prime minister effect in Egypt. He'd gone from the prison now to prime minister. He's ruling. So seven great years, they put aside food. In fact, Egypt becomes known as a place where they're really storing up heaps of food. Then the seven years of plenty give way to seven years of famine, but the famine doesn't just affect the area of Egypt. It affects the whole of the Middle East. It affects even the area of the Middle East that we now call Israel. 
and who's back living in Israel? Oh, that's right. It's Jacob and all the other brothers, all the brothers who sold him into slavery. And they're now beginning to starve. They don't have enough food. And word gets around that there's a lot of food in Egypt. And so what's starting to happen now, as you can understand, is that people from the region are hearing that there's plenty of food in Egypt. They're beginning to starve. So what do they do? Everybody begins to migrate towards Egypt because they're looking for food to help them through their famine. And who else comes on that migration down to Egypt but Joseph's brothers? And I won't go into all the detail. It's an amazing story. Great, makes amazing movies as well. But you can read it for yourself. But he ends up in this situation where, where he has a reunion with his brothers. They actually come and they appear before Joseph in Pharaoh's court looking for food. The trouble is he knows who they are, but they don't know who he is. And he plays these mind games with them and he does these teasing things with them. And eventually he can't hold it back any longer and he reveals to them who he is. And now his brothers are terrified because they remember what they tried to do and trying to get rid of him. But he turns around and says, brothers, don't worry what you determined for evil. God was determined to turn around for good. And actually there's this amazing reunion and Jacob comes back down and the family is reunited and it's an incredible story. But the thing is, if you're a commoner and you end up at Pharaoh's palace before the prime minister, how do you think you present yourself? You bow and that's exactly what the brothers did when they came into the presence of Joseph before they realized who he was. What are they doing? They're bowing down. What was the original dream? I saw, I saw, I saw my sheaf of wheat being lifted up and I saw you all bowing down to me. Did the dream come true? Did the dream come true? Yes, it did. Thank you. At least the children are responding. Did it come true? Absolutely it came true. And, and I mean, you can read on that, I mean, the story just continues to grow because now because so many people have moved from the Middle East down into Egypt because of the food, they, they get down there and they stay there. They don't go home. And now you've got all these Jewish people living in Egypt and they do what people do and they have children and their children have children and their children have more children and eventually people are getting worried about who are all these immigrants? Who are all these people taking over our nation? They start to get a bit worried about them. I know this doesn't happen today, but uh, they start to get worried about them and they start to say, man, we're going to try and control them. And eventually all these Jewish people living in Egypt end up being made into slaves because the Egyptians decide that's the best way that they can actually control them. And again, they grow and grow and grow. They cry out to God for rescue, and you can see where the story just continues to unfold because then Moses gets raised up to deliver God's people out of Egypt. Anyway, that's the ongoing story. Here's three points I want to leave you with about dreams. I trust that as we break the storyboard down, maybe it's going to help gauge and get in your mind some key points about how Joseph responded to the dream God gave him. Here's the first point I want to tell you about a dream or a vision or a prophecy, or a word, or a hope, whatever it is for you. Number one, the dream is like the end of a movie. Remember, what was the dream? The dream was Joseph saw his brothers bowing down to him. 
See, the trouble is often we get frustrated with a dream or a hope or a prophecy or a word or a scripture. We get frustrated because we receive it. We get excited. and We think, great, it's going to happen all by next Tuesday at 4 o'clock. And when it still hasn't happened by Friday, we're frustrated. But the idea is God gives us a vision, a hope, a dream, a, a prophecy, a word, a scripture. He gives it to us because he's showing us something in the future. And I think the, the best way we can approach it is say, wow, God, I'm going to receive that. Hold on. But I'm going to see it. Pastor, left to right. Okay. So we receive it. And it's now, it's like, we've got to see, that's like the end of the movie. It's not the first scene. It's not the thing happening next week. God's giving you a picture of your preferred future, his dream for you. But it's like at the end of a movie, just as it was for Joseph. And sometimes I think if we could hold on to that point alone, that's going to deliver us from a whole lot of frustration and a whole lot of losing hope and a whole lot of losing focus. Imagine Joseph has a dream. What's the first thing that happens? His brothers want to kill him. He tells his dream to people who are close to him who he expects, I think, perhaps unrealistically, that he's going to get, they're going to welcome it. And what do they want to do? They react so much, they want to kill him. Sometimes in sharing the dream with people close to us, it never goes as well as we hoped. It go, and then it goes from bad for worse. They want to kill him. He gets sold as a slave. He gets falsely accused. He gets thrown in prison. He spends a long, 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 long time in prison before he comes out and interprets Pharaoh's dream. But the dream still comes through. But the dream is like the end of a movie. What's the dream that you have? Or maybe is it the dream you had? Is it the one that you've given up on? Hasn't happened yet. It's not going to happen. I don't, I don't think it ever will. So I've just let it go. Well, what if that was the last scene in the movie? I mean, who goes to the movie and walks out after an hour? I mean, if you walk out of the movie after an hour, you never know how it ends. If you never stick it out to the end, you'll never know how it ends. I mean, goodness me, what if you, got, what if you were watching Lord of the Rings and you got bored after two and hours and 20 minutes and then walked out? Man, you were that close to the end and you couldn't know how it finished, but you walked out early. Have you walked out early on the dream that God has given you? Have you just said, I, it's, it, has, it hasn't happened. didn't happen in seed one. I'm, I'm out of here. God says, no, 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 no. I'm showing you how it ends. Stay in the theater. Stay in the movie. Come on. Come on, write it out. See, the other thing about a movie is nobody wants to watch a movie where nothing happens. I mean, who wants to go to a movie where a guy has a life, nothing abnormal happens, there's no challenges, there's no resolve, it just he, he has a life, and then he, he died. I mean, who wants to go to a movie? The, the whole reason we like going to movies is because there's drama. Movies start out, they're all the same. They set the scene, you get to know the characters. Then what happens? Then some form of tension or drama or calamity starts to creep in. And then there's more calamity. And then you're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And then the whole rest of the movie is about resolving to where things are resolved. And that's what keeps you hooked. You are wired for story. But nobody wants to watch a story where nothing dramatic happens. And yet so often in the dreams that God gives us, when the drama comes, 
We don't want to be in that movie. We'd like to hear other people's testimony of the drama they found in their life and how God brought them through. We celebrate that, but we don't want to be the people it's happening to. God says, come on. Don't walk out halfway through. I've shown you something, but that's the, it's like the last scene of a movie. So see it through to the end. Walk through the drama. See how it resolves. Hold on to God. Don't forget the dream. See it right through to the end. Okay, here's the second point about dreams. Our words can affect how the dream unfolds. Do you know probably the dumbest thing Joseph could have done was to tell his brothers his dreams? But here's the thing. You notice it didn't stop the dream coming true. I mean, I don't know. In my limited knowledge, I'd say, I don't think that's a wise move, Joseph, trying to get one up on your brothers by telling them your prideful dream. But he did. And in the end, it didn't stop the dream coming true. Wow. See, here's it is. Look, look there's, there's, there's the dream. There's the pit. There's Potiphar's wife, there's prison, there's uh, him interpreting the prison's dreams, and there's Pharaoh. Now, it's, it's like all these scenes in the movie of Joseph's dream, but there's more to it. It's like between each scene, there's a door. See, if you look at it, Joseph's story, if he hadn't told his brothers the dream, they wouldn't have hated, wouldn't have hated him so much that they wanted to throw him in a pit. And if they hadn't have wanted to throw him in the pit, then they wouldn't have wanted then to sell him as a slave. And if he hadn't been sold as a slave, he wouldn't have ended up in Potiphar's house. And if he hadn't ended up in, hadn't ended up in Potiphar's house, he wouldn't have had her chasing him and ending up getting falsely accused and put in prison. Oh, by the way, whose prison was it he was put into? Herod's prison. And now he's in Herod's prison, and then he interpret. If he hadn't interpreted the prisoners' dreams, then they wouldn't have got out and told that guy. Wouldn't have got out and told Pharaoh about how Joseph's amazing in interpreting dreams, and then he wouldn't have been able to come and interpret Pharaoh's dream, and then he wouldn't have become the prime minister, and then his brothers wouldn't have come and bowed down to him. I mean, isn't that amazing? We can look at the storyboard and say, wow, we see it now. But imagine what it's like for Joseph living that. He hasn't got the hindsight you've got. He can't look at his storyboard dream life. I mean, he's just holding his attitude together. And I don't know, he's having his ups and downs and his drama. But you can see how each scene in his journey was a doorway into the next. And it's exactly the same for you and I. You think things have got worse since you had a dream. What if, like Joseph, the situation you're in where it got worse is actually part of the story that God's wanting to write and the unfolding of that dream? And in fact, as you go through this situation, you can't see it now, but, but maybe if you can trust Him as the great director, that no matter how awkward this moment seems, maybe it's setting you up for the next scene of the unfolding of the dream that God has for you. Remember, He ended up in Herod's prison, in Herod's palace, waiting for his moment because of all those things that had happened. And here's the other thing you can be encouraged with. Romans 8, 28 is still true. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. The last time I looked at the Greek that's interpreted all things, in Greek it means all things. So what God is saying, what Paul writes here is that if you love God 
And if you're called according to His purpose, even when your life seems to be going C-R-A-P, He can still turn it around for good because you love Him and because you're called according to His purpose. God was not looking at Joseph's life at any point and going, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. He knew from the very beginning. And so what he's determined to do is to use absolutely everything for good. The problem is sometimes we just want to walk out of the theater and say, I've had enough of this. And we never get a chance to discover that Romans 8.28 is actually true. In an incredible way, God will turn everything around for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And here's the last point. The dream is always, everyone say always, always much bigger than you, than you. It's always much bigger than you and it's always much bigger than what you realize. See, what was the, what was the dream that Joseph had? The dream that Joseph had was that his brothers would bow down to him. And that dream came true. Yes, it did. But in that dream coming true, what also happened? Joseph ended up ruling as prime minister in Egypt. That's pretty amazing, don't you think? I mean, that's bigger than just your brothers bowing down to you. The dream unfolding actually meant he ended up in a place of authority in Egypt. But that's not all. Yes, in the dream coming through, there was this glorious reunion where their relationship was healed. I mean, that's pretty good. It's pretty good that he's ruling. But isn't it also pretty good that there was a reunion, that the the fractured relationships were broken? That was pretty good. But wait, there's more. And it doesn't involve steak knives. Probably an obscure reference to the 1980s television. See, with the dream coming true, not only was Joseph used by God to rescue his family, but he was used by God to rescue the nation of Egypt. But he's also used by God to rescue the whole of the Middle East from famine. Oh, yeah, he had a dream about his brothers bowing down, but the dream was actually way bigger than that. It was way bigger than Joseph, and it was way bigger than his brothers bowing down. It was actually about the, the salvation of the whole of the Middle East and setting up for the next purposes that God had for his people in living in the land of Egypt. See, the dream that you have, the vision you have, the hope you had, the word, the scripture, whatever it is that you're carrying, can I say to you, it's, it's way bigger than you and it's way bigger than you realize. Can you imagine if Joseph had walked out halfway through the movie? He would never have ended up as prime minister. He wouldn't have known reconciliation with his brothers, but more than that, millions and millions and millions of people will have died, would have died in that famine. How many lives are actually on the other side of your obedience to the dream that God has given you to carry. Number one, the dream that you carry is like the last scene of a movie. So don't lose heart. Don't walk out halfway through. Number two, 
The words that you say can affect how that dream unfolds, but God is not surprised. He'll use everything, even unwise words. He'll turn it around for good. Number three, the dream that he's given you is way bigger than you, and it's way bigger than you realize. I once had a dream that I wanted my son to grow up in church. I wanted him to love Jesus. And I wanted him to be devoted. That was my dream. And so because that was my dream, my wife and I, we, we, we did stuff to try and work toward that dream. We, we didn't do it just because of him, because it was already part of our life, but we prioritized relationship with God. We prioritized the house. We took him to church. We took him to church when he didn't want to. We put up with all those times where, you know, he was that kid running around in the foyer that all the other parents were like, what is wrong with that child? When we had our challenges and our relationships in church, we kept going to church anyway. Not just for our sake, but because of what we wanted for our son. Did I ever envisage that Kenan would be the man that he is today, knowing God as he does, loving him as he is, and doing what he is? No, it's way beyond what I dreamed. Do you know what Kenan said to me one day? In fact, he said it to me three times on different occasions. The older he's gotten, the more he's realized how, you know, church is church and family is family and you know, sometimes we love God, it's just our brothers and sisters we can't stand. And, and yet the challenge is the Bible's really clear that there's no separation. We can't say we love God and hate, hate His bride, which is the church, which is everybody else. But you know, I mean, come on, let's be real people. It's not always beer and Skittles. I mean, it's not always a party, eh? Because it's family. You can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your relatives. Do you know what Kenan said to me one day? And he said it on three different occasions. He said, Dad, because he hears about people who divorce church. I mean, I, I call it that because I think it's that strong. I mean, I'm not saying we're a cult or anything. And, you know, when God moves people, that's fine. But sometimes people are like, oh, they, don't, they get in the half, they throw their toys out of the cot, and they just stop going to church and instead of resolving the issues. You know what he said to me? He said, Dad, I'm so glad that you and Mum, even when times were tough, I'm so glad you and Mum didn't stop coming to equip us. Because I wouldn't be where I am now if it wasn't for the community that we're a part of. See, the dream you carry is way bigger. I mean, I can remember the first time I'm sitting in a crowd and we're singing a song that Kenan has said, Dad, can you look at these lyrics? Do they make sense? Is that theologically correct? Because that's, you know. And then we sing the song and he's, wow. You know, I'm not, yeah, you have a proud dad moment, but I'm not, it's not all glory to Kenan, it's all glory to God. And, but I'm just so glad because I, this is way bigger than I ever imagined. Who's on the other side of obedience to your dream? Don't lose heart. See it as the end of a movie. Be willing to ride the drama. 
understanding that nothing, every situation, no matter how hard, is going to be an opportunity to go into the next scene. Joseph wouldn't have ended up doing what he couldn't have done if he hadn't ended up in prison in Joseph's and Pharaoh's um, palace. Don't walk out early. Father, I just pray for everybody in this room. And I pray especially for the moments where we have encountered something of your picture for our future. Maybe it was a dream. Maybe it was a vision. Maybe it was a prophecy. Maybe it was a hope. Maybe it was nothing stronger than wouldn't it be great if. Some people have carried scriptures, prophecies that have been spoken over them or scriptures that have leapt off the page. And one season in our lives, they actually gave us vision and hope for a future but somehow it's like the mundane and the frustration and the unmet expectations and the disappointments have meant that we've kind of left the theater early not giving a chance to see how the dream movie finishes so Father tonight I particularly want to pray for the rekindling of that dream Father, I pray for your people that even tonight, even out of what we shared, they begin to see again in a new perspective, the dream, the hope, the vision that they have to see. It's like the last scene. And everything between now, everything between when they first received it and the fulfillment, everything is a part of the drama. Everything is a part of the movie. Everything is a part of the plan. Everything is working together for good because they love you and because they called according to your purpose. So even when things seem to get worse and then get worse and worse and worse, it's still possible for you to redeem just as you did for Joseph. So it is you want to do for every person in this room. And Father, I pray that you would even... God, rekindle those dreams, not just for the sake of the people in this room, but for the sake of every restore, restored relationship that's on the end of obedience. And God, for the fulfillment that's going to be way bigger than any person or anybody realizes in Jesus' name. Revive them again. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 